What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. On a daily basis, uh, we're all pretty dumb around here. Not today. Not today, okay? We're going to have the most intelligent conversation we've ever had in our entire life. Who's here today, D'Anthony? Uh, Michio Kaku is one of the more well-known theoretical physicists in the world and a uh, very bright man who I've been, wa- I've been following your work for as long as you've been publishing it, really, at least in the modern medium. So I, we appreciate you coming on today for the second time. Absolutely. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Very good. Glad to be on the show. Glad to have you back. You got a new book coming out. Um, rumor is that you've solved pie. Is that true? Well, the book hit the New York Times bestseller list last week, so it's causing a certain amount of stir. It's now officially a bestseller. Congratulations. How many is that for you now? Uh, this is my uh, sixth uh, New York Times bestselling book in science. And it's about time that quantum physics made the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, what's that old saying? I think it's uh, people are kind of intimidated or baffled by it. There's that old saying that if you think you understand quantum theory, you don't really understand quantum theory. But we're, I think uh, quantum computing is one that people are starting to understand because we have a basis for comparison, right? So we know pe- people that know about it know about supercomputers and the, you know how do you measure their uh, uh, like in petaflops and stuff like that. But this is a whole new thing. That's right. And Silicon Valley that we're all familiar with may eventually become a rust belt. It may be a source of poverty and backward technology because quantum computers, in principle, could put Silicon Valley out of business. That's why the leaders in Silicon Valley are jumping into the race because they realize that they're going to be irrelevant unless they jump on the bandwagon. Uh, how, How long until you think that's a real possibility? Well, quantum supremacy is the time when a quantum computer, which computes on atoms, not transistors, exceeds the power of a supercomputer that is digital. That point was reached two years ago. In China, and also in the United States with Google, they built quantum computers that are millions of times, millions of times faster and more powerful than a standard digital computer for certain tasks. Now we want to create an all-purpose quantum computer that'll work on any task, not just a select few. So there's a race. The race is now uh, incorporating some of the biggest names in the world, IBM, Google, Microsoft, Honeywell. They're all in the race. The company or the nation that wins this race could dominate the world economy. Who do you think is going to win? Right now, my money is on China, and I'm saying that as an American right now. Well, the Chinese are leading in what are called optical quantum computers. They compute on light beams. Believe it or not, they use light beams in, in order to 
to make cal calculations at the quantum level. In the United States, we use electrons. We're more conservative. And the electrons have to be cooled down to near absolute zero, which is a pain in the butt. But, you know, Google, IBM, uh, Microsoft, they're all in the race. They all realize what's at stake because it could be a winner take all. That's why the biggest names in computation are jumping in the bandwagon. Now, can you explain for the audience what a qubit is? Okay, well, a ordinary digital computer computes on zeros and ones, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. That's binary. So a transistor could be off or on, off or on. That's the limit of what we can do with our supercomputers. However, quantum computers compute on atoms. And atoms are much different than zeros and ones, zeros and ones. If I put an, an atom in a magnetic field, the North Pole can point up or the more North Pole can point down, up or down. There are two states in a digital computer. But now, think of a quantum computer where the North Pole can be in any direction whatsoever. How much more powerful is that than up and down, up and down? That is infinitely more powerful than up and down, up and down. The price you pay, though, is you have to work with atoms. But atoms can spin in any direction. So in other words, quantum computers compute on the way Mother Nature creates the universe. Mother Nature does not use zeros and ones, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. That's binary. Nope. Mother Nature uses molecules, electrons. And what do they compute on? All possible values between zero and one, zeros and one. So immediately, immediately you see how powerful they are. They are, in principle, infinitely more powerful than a digital computer. That's crazy. So <clears throat> we, we, some of the quantum computers that we're seeing now, and as you said, they're kind of limited in scope and functionality right now, but the processing power is like, for our supercomputers, something that might take 25, 50, 100, 400 years can happen in real time, theoretically, with a quantum computer, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you think about one of the things that people are talking about a lot now is giving the quantum computer, almost like we do with ChatGPT or something, a prompt. Like, hey, study all the research that exists for cancer and figure out a way to defeat cancer, right? That, that's, that's like a, a, a theoretical use for something like this. And it can do the work that a, a normal, su not, not this computer, but a supercomputer, right? Uh, one operating at like 100 to 250 petaflops would take it maybe 100 years. It could do it in real time. So imagine that stretched out. You could do thousands of years of research in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And that's the application. But isn't the fear in that uh, how many jobs would be potentially lost for human beings? Well, the immediate concern is the CIA has raised the red flag because anything this powerful can crack any known digital security code. Uh, this means Bitcoin. Uh, this means the banks. Uh, this means large corporations. The crown jewels, the crown jewels of any corporation are stored on their digital code. But these codes, in principle, can be broken by a quantum computer. Because for a quantum computer, digital is nothing. Digital is just nothing but zeros and ones, zeros and ones. Quantum computer computes on anything in between simultaneously. 
And so the CIA is already worried about this. The, Nas the old National Bureau of Standards even wrote a directive saying that corporations should begin the process of preparing for the quantum era. We're not there yet. We have time. But we have to prepare for the time when, in principle, a quantum computer can break any known, any known code. So not only can quantum computers revolutionize the economy, space travel, agriculture, oil, energy, all these areas, it also can revolutionize security as well. Sure, yeah, not only can it break current security, but it could it could create new, you know, hashes and algorithms that would be impossible for anything other than a quantum computer to even see, right? Much less mm -hmm. be able to break it. Well, wasn't Google the first one to do it with Sycamore, I believe? Weren't they first testing that out initially? Uh, yeah, so it was the Chinese and it was Google that led the pack initially. Now IBM is closing the gap. They're up to about a thousand qubits or quantum bits. And so it's a horse race. And every few months, different horses uh, change in terms of who is winning. But the, definitely there's a race going on. And who wins that race will determine the nature of the world economy. The world economy is going to depend on this. Just like after World War II, a lot of the world economy was shifted to a large digital computers pioneered by IBM. The next big jump will be now when quantum computers dominate the economy, which corporation, whichever corporation comes out first, could dominate the world economy. Well, with that, at least, uh, <laughs> just looking at security and jobs and everything else, you would still have to find people to program these new quantum computers uh, to rewrite new codes, rewrite new security for all of these different uh, corporate entities Maybe and everything else. At, at first, yeah, but quantum AI is where we start to get into a little bit murkier territory, right? Which is where this power that we were previously incapable of achieving is now in the hands of an artificial intelligence. And how does that go, right? Uh, you know, it's there. a lot of people have conversations about this, um, about, you know, it, it's some people are doomsayers and some people are... are you know, super hyper about it, and both of the, they're both correct to be to be what they are, right? Uh, it, it's it could go really well, and it could go really poorly, and it could go somewhere in between. Um, you know, like think about think about the i <clears throat> think about the difference between you and an ant, right? So an ant, short life, uh, travels slowly. To you, it looks like it's traveling slowly, but that's his full speed and stuff. Uh, now make that a thousand orders of magnitude higher and you have this uh intelligence that doesn't feel pain it doesn't experience time or any of this stuff and it can exert its will over you in the digital space to some degree is it going to learn compassion and empathy as quickly as it learns how to protect itself right and is it going to perceive threats and stuff like that that's a major concern yeah, I, I think we're all screwed, uh, Doc. I'm going to be real with you here, and I'm not looking forward to any of this. Um, for the audience, how far away would you say we really are from this taking over everything as we know it? Okay, first of all, I like to look at it like a carpenter and a hammer. The hammer does not replace the carpenter. The hammer is not sentient. It doesn't understand what it's doing, but it does a good job because there's a there's a carpenter that guides it. So when the hammer was introduced, who lost their jobs? The people that lost their jobs were carpenters that did not use the hammer. 
they lost their jobs. Who got jobs? Carpenters who mastered tools. And so the same thing here. Uh, if you take a look at the chatbots, which can create uh, essays, for example, just by talking to it, you realize that it's like a tape recorder. It's not original. It doesn't understand the difference between truth and falsehood. It doesn't understand anything. It's just a, a glorified tape recorder that sounds human. So people are shocked when they talk to a chatbot because they say, oh my God, it sounds like, sounds like a human. And the answer is, of course it sounds like a human. It is a human. It's a tape recorder that records human, human uh, essays and human uh, musings and splices them together. So in other words, the media has overblown this too much. These are not sentient Terminator-type robots that are going to take over. They're glorified tape recorders that can regurgitate what somebody wrote. For example, the New York Post had an article where they quoted from a chatbot that said that, well, the robots are going to take over. Humans are in the way. They didn't mention the fact that where did that come from? That came from some kind of teenage boy. Teenage boys write all sorts of nonsense on the Internet, and who grabs it? Sometimes chatbots will grab these things. And then you say to yourself, oh, my God, the robots are going to take over. No, it's a teenage boy simply musing about these things. And then a chatbot doesn't know right from wrong, correct or incorrect, grabs it and incorporates it into an essay. So in other words, the media should not hyperventilate. We're a long ways from Terminator robots. Well, I, I always mention that because it doesn't really feel like it. I feel like every two weeks we see a new Boston Dynamics dog or robots climbing up the stairs, opening up doors, uh, kicking in those doors, getting poked and then getting back up. And you wonder what's the type of technology if you were to put uh, you know, this quantum computing inside one of those robots could possibly do to a society it's not great, um, and it, felt, it feels like we have seen that movie before with the Terminator. What would prevent that from happening, I guess? Well, let's compare a robot to a, uh, an animal, okay? If you take a military-grade robot and put it in the forest, the first thing it does is it falls over, can't even, can't even walk straight, and it gets lost. You get a cockroach and you put it in the forest, what does it do? It finds mates, finds food, finds shelter, finds a new home. Robots are only do what they're programmed to do. And as a consequence, they're useless in the wild. However, eventually, as time goes by, they'll be as smart as a mouse. And I imagine one day they'll be as smart as a rat and then a rabbit and then a dog or a cat. Eventually, I think by the end of the century now, they may be as smart as a monkey. Now, at that point, they're potentially dangerous because monkeys are self-aware. Monkeys know they are not humans. Now, dogs, dogs are confused. Dogs think that we are a dog. That's why they obey us. We're the top dog. They're the underdog. And they are companions because they follow us. But eventually, when robots become as smart as a monkey, then I think that's the time to worry because monkeys are self-aware. They know they're not humans. At that point, I think we should put a chip in their brain to shut them off if they have murderous thoughts. 
But I think that's decades away. What we have here is glorified tape recorders that are freaking people out because they sound human. Of course they sound human. They're based on human essays and human rants and raves on the internet. They're nothing but homogenized sections of the internet posing as if they're human. They're yeah, not really fit at all. It's not too unlike the uh, <clears throat> when you go into a customer service chat room. Those are all automated responses for the most part. But right? I hate them and I want to kill them. Like I, I find myself yelling at mm-hmm. them, operator, operator, like as loud as I can. I already want to kill them. Yeah, but that's like maybe maybe keep that to a minimum. Because, look, these, these things are just mimicking our behavior. So if it's got 30 years of you making you know, threats over the phone, sure. uh, once they do become sentient, you're going to be on the target list. Well, not according to him. So well, I've, no, got, I've got decades. at least 75 years. So I'll be dead by then, and that's fine. I just want to know selfishly how much time I have left. Um, you know what I'm saying? Because my kids can deal with that and, and then fight the next fight. I just want to know about daddy. So as long as we got 75 years, I'll be long and dead by that point. So the next generation can worry about it. And that's all I needed to hear. I today. think I think people are uh, a little too concerned about all the negative stuff because the positive stuff, in my opinion, far outweighs the negative for now. Yeah, look, look at the positive aspect of this thing. This increases productivity. It increases it increases efficiency, speed. It, it uh, rejuvenates uh, aging industries. It, um, it allows people to become productive, efficient, reduce costs. And I think that's a good thing. It's good for the economy. If you, if you need some perspective on this, just at any point, Google anti-electricity propaganda 1890. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I, think, I, I do think it's a lot of propaganda. I mean, think about, <clears throat> here's a specific example. So uh, you're familiar with the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins? Yeah. Um, so it took them 13 years of research and billions of dollars to map the human genome. And theoretically, a quantum computer could have done that in a couple of hours probably, right? Uh, if, it, if it was functioning in the way that we expect them to be able to function. And what we're talking about there is the ability to look down at the genetic level and find uh, markers for future disease, Right, so you can modify your diet and lifestyle to prevent it, all sorts of stuff like that. Even to the point of what we're doing now with CRISPR, which is to say gene editing or removing negative genes and stuff like that. There's a lot of really good things that can happen from this. I mean, think about how, think about how far apart major breakthroughs in science have been over the years. You know what I mean? Um, hundreds of years apart in some cases. Like from from Newton to Einstein was what 400 years almost or 300. 50 years or something like that, we could shorten that time and make rapid advances and, uh, you know, get off this planet at some point, which is probably going to be necessary. Well, I look at it from if we're extending our lives too, right? Financially, how is that going to be good for society, especially if we're ushering in a new generation after that? Is the, is the population uh, of the planet going to be too overcrowded? Well, we got to get everybody's off gonna this planet. Forever. We need yeah. to get. We have to get off of this planet. We need to disperse ourselves throughout the universe for sure. Well, throughout the galaxy, the universe, thousands of years away from doing something like that, but through the galaxy for for sure. And there's already been some uh, really interesting discoveries. I think uh, last week a paper was published. Was it last week? Yeah, um, where this a quantum computer has created this new particle called an anion, which uh, remembers its past. For the first, this is the first time this has ever happened, right? So uh, it was technically discovered in the 70s, I think, and it uh, 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 
but it's uh, stuff like that that wouldn't necessarily like you. It's a big problem with a lot of quantum theory and with a lot of string theory and stuff like that that people toy around with to build an actual test for it, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what science is: is the ability to predict, test, and then observe. And for for a lot of the theory, like which is what uh, uh, Dr. Kaku who works on the theoretical stuff, it's really interesting and it helps guide the practical side of physics. But at some point, we got to develop tests for these things. And sometimes we're not going to have the energy output capability or whatever, uh, be able to look at the smaller level or the larger level enough to do that kind of test. But a quantum computer can do those things. Okay. Right. And let me add one more thing. Um, the reason why I got into this game, I'm a physicist. I work in Einstein's theory. The reason why I got into computer science is because string theory, which we think could be this missing fable theory of everything, is so complicated that the human mind has not been able to solve it. So I think a quantum computer may actually be able to solve the problem of string theory and give us an answer. Why was there a bang? Why did the universe spring into existence? Could the universe have been any other way? Is the universe unique? Are there other universes? None of these questions can be answered by the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory simply says there was a bang, period. Doesn't say where it came from, why it banged the way it did. But this is where I think computers could solve the problem. They are smart enough to to solve string theory, I think. In which case, we'll then get answers to the deepest questions of all. Why are we here? Why did the universe come out the way it did? Why do we have four forces? All these questions cannot be answered without something like a quantum computer. Well, for you, I know you've worked on the string theory, you know, for a great majority of your life. Are you hoping to get the answer before you die in this life? And could you die a happy man at that point if you actually got it? Well, yeah. And just remember that maybe in your audience, there's a young person out there who likes the idea of working on this famous theory. And maybe they might find the theory of everything and prove it. Uh, In which case, I give them a word of advice. If you ever find the theory of everything... Um, tell me first. <laughs> we'll split the Nobel Prize money, you and me. <laughs> yeah, because you've never won. I, I, you mentioned you're a six-time uh, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, your new book, uh, Quantum Supremacy, uh, is on the New York Times bestseller list as well right now, and it's available everywhere, so please go and buy that. Uh, Amazon's the easiest. It'll be there in under 48 hours. Uh, but yeah, if, if if it was all settled and done... Uh, what would you do? Would you go on a huge vacation after that? Would you party, uh, do some drugs, light it up? Like, what would you what would you do if you found the answer? Well, it's like we're working on a chess game. Uh, half the fun is figuring out if you did if you've never seen a chess game before. Half the fun is figuring out how the chess moves, how the chess pieces move, and that's what we physicists are like looking at the universe. We're looking at how protons move and neutrons move. Just like looking at a chess game, trying to figure out how the chess pieces move. But one day, we'll figure out the rules of the entire game. Okay, One day, we'll figure that out. At that point, we'll be uh, chess masters. We'll be able to create chess games uh, to our liking. We'll be able to create new and interesting kinds of universes. And so I think that this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning if we solve the equations for this universe. Sure. I mean, we... so. For for those of you out there who aren't necessarily uh, into physics or anything, <clears throat> about 
I think it's 96% of all matter in the universe is dark matter, and we don't even know what the hell that is. So we're, we're, at the, we're at the start line. We're closer to the start line to the finish line. But I think even if we did discover the, the, the TOE, the theory of everything, uh, it's going to open up more questions than it, has, than it solves answers, I think, right? Because that's, that's just how it's always been. Like every new discovery we make, we're like, oh, shit, I didn't even think of, of this, this, and this thing that now, you know, like the idea <clears throat> in uh, M theory where you're communicating between uh, uh, two universe, co-located universes using gravity and stuff like that. I mean, there's just so much more stuff uh, that, that, we'll, that we'll be able to play around with after that. Being able to travel through space, I think, is a big problem, mm-hmm. right? How to deal with the radiation and how to travel quickly through space is going to be a problem that we have to solve sometime in the next couple of hundred years, probably, right? Yeah, I'd probably say before that. Just uh, to survive. Yeah. No, I mean, we can travel through, we could travel at sublight speed relatively easily through space right now, but uh, trying to, uh, uh, w- whether it's wormholes or something else like that, being able to move quickly enough through space where it's not 35,000 years before you get somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure your civilization persists and, and get to, you know, new worlds and stuff like that. That's going to be, that's going to be really important to make sure that our species survives. Yeah. Well, we physicists trying to rank these civilizations to try to understand when we might become an advanced civilization. A type one civilization is planetary. They control the weather. Uh, they can control earthquakes and mine the oceans. That's type one, sort of like Buck Rogers. Mm. Then there's type two, a civilization that harnesses the power of a star. That's like Star Trek. Star Trek is where they colonize a few nearby stars, but not much more. That's called the type two civilization. Then there's type three, which is galactic. They roam the galactic space lanes. They play with black holes. That's sort of like the empire of Star Wars. Now, on this scale, are we type one that control the Earth? Are we type two that control the sun? Are we type three that control the galaxy? What are we? We are type zero. (laughs) We get our energy from dead plants, oil and coal. So you see, we have a long ways to go before we can start to control the Earth, the stars, the galaxy. We have a long ways to go. But it does mean that we have uh, our work cut out for us. We can dream about these things. For example, by the time you're type three, you're galactic, you may have enough energy to create warp drive, to go across stars, to go through wormholes. A type three civilization has enough energy to open up gateways to other universes. But hey, we're type zero, so that's not for us. But you see the beginnings of a planetary civilization. What is English? English is the beginning of a type one language in our lifetime, English. Uh, Second language on the internet is Chinese. Then also we're seeing the beginning of a type one sports, uh, soccer and um, soccer and the Olympics, beginning of a type one sports. We're seeing the beginning of a type one music with uh, rap music and uh, different kinds of rock music. We're seeing the beginning of a type one fashion with Gucci and Chanel. So we're seeing the beginning of a type one culture as we head toward the end of the century. So we think by the end of the century, we will become type one, unless of course we blow ourselves up. Uh, we will become a type one civilization, a planetary civilization, and you see the signs of it everywhere. Every time you open the newspaper, 
I see evidence that we're beginning to see the birth of a type one planetary civilization. Well, since you mentioned blowing each other up here, um, how much would this speed up nuclear bombs, Uh, you know, quantum computing? How, How fast and dangerous could that potentially be to other countries, ourselves included? Well, uh, to create an atomic bomb is an engineering problem now. We don't need basic physics. The basic physics was worked out in the 1930s. But um, they're dangerous because uh, even small countries like North Korea, Mm -hmm. even North Korea could engineer a nuclear device. And that's why they're they're dangerous, not because they use advanced physics, but because they use old-fashioned physics. It's engineering. An engineering question whether or not they can purify uranium and purify plutonium. That's an engineering question. And that's what makes them so dangerous because it means that they could begin the process of building a nuclear arsenal. And that is one of the dangers uh, as we get close to becoming a planetary civilization. There's always the wild card of somebody blowing things up, releasing a, a bio germ, uh, creating havoc with nuclear weapons. That could mess up the whole thing. So it's not guaranteed that we'll become a type one civilization. That's not guaranteed at all. But nuclear is the same as quantum computing or AI or anything else. There's good and bad things. I mean, it's uh, most of my friends in the energy sector continue to agree that as when it comes to energy sources that are actually uh, that can <clears throat> generate the amount of energy we need, nuclear is pretty much the most efficient and cleanest right now but it seems like there's been a pretty big push and i'm sure it's mostly politics and big companies trying to maintain their fossil fuel companies and and get government subsidies for quote-unquote renewables and stuff but um a lot of germany and u.s especially have knocked down a lot of their nuclear power uh, over the past decade or so and then now france is starting to build new nuclear plants which is interesting i think they got kind of spooked by getting hooked on russian oil and natural gas and, you know, Russia, they're kind of crazy, obviously. Um, well, I, I think the way to go is fusion power. Uh, in the galaxy, Mother Nature does not use uranium. Mm. Only on the planet Earth in the, in the galaxy do we find uranium being used for energy. Mother Nature uses hydrogen. Mm. Hydrogen is clean. It creates almost no nuclear waste other than helium gas, which is commercially valuable, actually. No nuclear waste, no meltdowns. Uh, the basic fuel for a fusion plant is seawater. Hydrogen from a seawater can be used as the basic fuel for a fusion plant. But the reason why we don't have fusion plants is that fusion reactors are slightly unstable. And that's why we need quantum computers to eliminate the instability of the hydrogen gas so that we can mass produce fusion plants. But I think fusion is the way to go. No nuclear waste, no meltdowns, uh, uh, seawater is the basic fuel. What's there not to love about fusion plants other than the fact that we don't have them yet? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is certainly the most co- – that's what a star is, right? So on the inside of a star, uh, hydrogen atoms are being compacted by gravity and, and uh, you know, two protons. Now it's a helium and so on and so forth until it becomes iron. I mean, it's already happening to some degree. And we're, we're doing a very low-yield, low-efficiency collection of that with solar panels and stuff. But – yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's if if somebody were able to stabilize a fusion reactor, uh, that would be pretty much the end of the energy sector, right? Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't be digging in the ground for energy ever again, right? Which is nice because right now we've got a bunch of wars going on across the world for the last hundred years, just about that. 
So that would be nice. Yeah, strictly over energy. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think there's other planets out there who are already using uh, this type of quantum computing and things like that? I was reading an article this morning here uh, where a Pentagon official co-authored a paper suggesting that alien intelligence is behind all these UFO sightings that we're seeing. Does that mean that they've got the, the capabilities already and they're sending these uh, either ships or... or uh, saucers out to to kind of ping us and see what's going on here the same way that we probably would if we got off of this planet? Uh, You can't rule that out, given the fact there's a natural progression with regards to energy and information. For computers, there was a natural progression between analog computers, when we compute on sticks and stones and gears and pulleys, to the electronic age, where everything is digital, to the quantum age, where everything is basically at the at the atomic level. That's a natural progression. So I think inevitably the aliens, if they ha- if they're there, would have quantum computers. The aliens would be able to negotiate space, time, matter, energy because they've mastered quantum computers, which is you know next on our agenda. We're simply following the footsteps of Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Uh, When you go outside, why is it you see photosynthesis? Why is it you see nitrogen fixing and fertilizer? It's because Mother Nature is a quantum computer in some sense. And so we're following the dictates and the path taken by Mother Nature. So I think you're right. If we ever encounter alien life in outer space, chances are they will use quantum computers as their basic operating system. Well, is it possible that our government has either captured a a ship or something has fallen and they've potentially taken it somewhere and taken the technology and used it for our own advancements in some of these fields? Well, you can't negate it, but I kind of doubt it, uh, because if you look at the painstaking misses and dead ends that we've looked at over the decades, you realize that it's a slow, torturous process. But most people don't know that. They just see these these technologies when they're full-blown, jumping out of Silicon Valley, and they say, ah, aliens, aliens created this technology. That's because they didn't see all the false starts. They didn't see all the bankrupt companies. They didn't see all the hard work that went into creating the the infrastructure that we have today of computation. And if you if you really did you would realize that, well, we don't have to have aliens to give us this technology. It was sweat and tears on the on, on behalf of many scientists to create this computer revolution. But don't you think uh, that it, it you get an idea or you get a, a, a dream or of, of what the possibilities could be, and if you're able to take that info, yes, I know it takes years. The reason I ask you this, about 15... 15 years ago, 15 to 17 years ago, I interviewed one of the guys from Roswell who was still alive during that crash, if you even believe that it happened. Um, I was skeptical at first, and then, you know, as I talked to this guy over the course of, of several hours, uh, he broke it down in a basic thing pretty much to, to what you said. He said, look, I, there was a ship, there was something that landed. Uh, we took it somewhere and examined it. If you look at the planes over the years, we slowly got 
to what the actual wreckage was, and we were, were finally able to build it and recreate it. Uh, he said the exact same thing. He goes, what you didn't see was you know, the first 50 years of failures of trying to figure out what this is and then trying to replicate it before eventually getting it right. I don't know where you live on all of that, but last time you were on the show, uh, we got into to aliens with you, and the audience went nuts. Uh, is that possible? Well, first of all, I think they're out there. I think that the, to believe that we're the only game in town, I think, is um, is presumptuous. But I also think of it as when you're walking down a country road and you see a squirrel, do you go down to the squirrel and have a conversation? Well, maybe initially you do, but eventually you get kind of bored because the squirrel doesn't talk back to you. <laughs> you can't learn anything from the squirrel, so you simply walk away and leave the squirrel alone. So I think if they're out there, and of course I think aliens are out there, but whether or not they visited us, I think is still up for debate. But if they have visited us, you can't rule it out that maybe there was an accident of some sort, but there's no smoking gun. That's why I say that if you've ever been kidnapped by flying saucer, for God's sake, steal something. <laughs> steal something, a hammer, a, a chip, uh, an alien technology, steal anything. There's no law against stealing from an extraterrestrial civilization. There's no law on the textbooks that says you go to jail if you steal from an alien civilization in outer space. So steal away, and that would end the debate right there. An alien chip, end of story. No more speculation. Here it is, folks, the smoking gun. But you, but do you and your colleagues watch the videos that are being put out? And look, again, as I mentioned earlier, some of these the Pentagon has actually signed off on. Do you guys ever sit down behind the scenes, have a couple beers, and, and say to yourself, hey, here's what I think this is or what I think it isn't? Well, you know, we have the videotapes now. We didn't have that before. Right. Before with eyewitness accounts, uh, look, look, I see something in the sky, right? Now we have metrics. Now we can actually calculate how fast they move and how fast they zigzag. We now realize they travel between Mach 5 and Mach 20. We've clocked that now. So we know how fast they move. That's 20 times the speed of sound. We're talking about the speed of a hypersonic drone. That's how fast these things can move. They also zigzag. And when they zigzag, they create G-forces of several hundred Gs. We've measured that. So we now know that anyone inside the flying saucer is probably not organic. No organic being can withstand G-forces of several hundred and not be crushed. Also, these things go underwater. Uh, we didn't know that till the military released footage showing that these things travel above water and then dive and go un underwater as well. That puts stresses, enormous stresses on the hull of the ship and again, these stresses are beyond what an ordinary jet fighter can withstand. Jet fighters cannot fight in the air, in outer space, or in the, in the ocean. These things can do all three. And so we immediately know that if these videotapes can be trusted, the technology there is beyond anything that we have on the, on the planet Earth. Dr. Kaku, you've been on the show before. You know we got some sponsors that put this shit wagon on the air. First and foremost, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Half off the bundle package right now. It's the adjustable base and the mattress combined together. The most popular option is the Split King, which comes with two remote controls instead of one. 
but still contains all the fun. You can go upsy downsy all aroundsies and that's uh, it vibrates from head to toe. It's got flashlights, USB ports, all the bells and whistles. That way, if your partner goes to sleep uh, before or after you, you can control your own destiny. Now, if you're just looking for a mattress, GhostBed's giving you 40% off with the promo code DRINKINGBROS at checkout. Also, they're giving you two free luxury pillows when you buy said mattress right now. And it's a hell of a deal. The pillows are just as good as the goddamn mattress, and uh, and they last for a long time. Those cooling pillows are amazing. Once you have them, you'll never go back to a regular pillow after that. I get to stay in a hotel tonight. I'm taking mine with me. Uh, and don't uh, don't forget to check out uh, the sheets. Love the sheets. I've got the sheets in every single room in my house. I'm a big fan of those. Uh, if you're looking for a weighted blanket, they have those too. And then get a cover for your mattress if you got children or you're doing some butt stuff. Don't get the mattress dirty. Respect yourself. Respect your purchase at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. And when you check out, you're going to see a three-year pay-as-you-go program at no interest as long as you have decent credit over there. Uh, Check that box, and all the deals that I mentioned are applicable with that, and you can walk out of there with a brand-new bedroom set for about 20 25 bucks a month. Head on over to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. Next up, we got manscaped.com. Promo code drinking bros gets you 20% off plus free shipping over at manscaped.com. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil... Your beach bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full-body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with the Austin Powers chest hair. And if you grew some winter man tits, the least you can do is make sure they're hairless. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code drinking bros if you don't have manscaped products in your house right now are you even a man the funny thing about it too is my wife takes this shit all the time and uh, and uses it as well and uh and i'll see it i'll see it out of the charger i know i didn't do it i know she did women love it too it's not just for dudes manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game with the performance package 4.0 this kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, which is waterproof, cordless. It's the old body trimmer. Uh, it's got a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. So whether you're trimming your chest or the treasure chest in your pants, this is the best trimmer on the market. Their trimmer features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology. You can even trim an arrow pointing to the promised land if you're bold enough. Now, inside this performance package, uh, you're also going to find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing a bathing suit all day long, and no one likes nose hair, so their package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is about a $40 value, and the patented high-performance reducing Manscaped boxers. 
they're, they're reducing chafing in those things. I'm actually wearing a pair today, dude. I fucking love these guys. Uh, and if you're wearing sandals, you got to get the Manscaped Shears 2.0. Nail kits, having the right tools for grooming is essential. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DRINKINGBROS at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping with the code DRINKINGBROS at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. Sponsor-wise, does it get any better than HelloFresh? Hello! Hello, Fresh! I see you! I've been eating them with my wife for, man, I want to say three to four years now. Uh, we have it Monday through Thursday, maybe Friday, depending upon what the kids want to do. But it is the freshest ingredients you can get delivered right to your doorstep Uh, And it's even cold. It's even chilled for you. So you can pop it right out of the box and into the fridge. Look, kids, uh, if you're like me and you're going to the grocery store a few times a week and you're noticing that bill creeping up into triple digits, it's because you're trying to buy fresh food for your family. It's not sweet. However, HelloFresh Uh, makes it a lot easier by doing it for you. These are fresh meals with unbelievably fresh ingredients that get shipped right to your house with a little tiny card that tells you how to cook it. Uh, Some meals you can even do in like 15 minutes. Some of the steaks a little longer, but uh, I'm not kidding, kids. I've had it Monday through Thursday or Friday for pretty much the last three or four years of my life. I'm a gigantic fan of them, but I never got a savings like this. Uh, This is HelloFresh.com slash DrinkingBros16, where you use the code DrinkingBros16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. I'm going to say that one more time because you're getting 16 free meals here. Nobody can offer you that. Not in podcasts and certainly not in life. How they're doing it, I'm not sure. But good on them. I love the food. It's the best in the biz. And right now you can get 16 free meals by going to HelloFresh.com slash DrinkingBros16 and use the code DrinkingBros16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Gigantic fan of these guys. There's a reason why HelloFresh's tagline is America's number one meal kit. It's because they are. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save you a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. I saw the commercials with Ryan Reynolds and I was like, I'll give it a go. My service sucks here anyways with AT&T, so I switched. It's been pretty easy over there. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month by going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail. Mint Mobile passes significant savings to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. Switch to Mint Mobile 
and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless service plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash drinking bros. That is mintmobile.com slash drinking bros. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash drinking bros. Yeah, I like that. I like the alien stuff. Uh, there's something called the Drake equation that you use to kind of predict how many habitable civilizations a galaxy might have. I think the I think it's like 10,000 inside the Milky Way galaxies. Remember, there's like, what, 100 billion galaxies that we're aware of or more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about trillions upon trillions of potential life-bearing planets out there, all at different ages. We're relatively young here, right? But there's some galaxies out there that are nearly as old as the universe. We're talking like 13 billion years old. Who knows how long they've been advancing uh, or maybe most of them blew themselves up right i mean you, just considering how maybe humanity is an outlier in that regard <clears throat> but the competition that happens among sentient life it seems like there's a high proclivity for violence right so it's likely that a lot of them blew themselves up first but some of them had to survive so there's some there's there's definitely there, it would be insanely uh, uh uh egotistical to think that we're the only as as Dr. Cogger said, the only game in town. That's stupid. That's yeah, I, I don't believe it either. And I definitely believe uh, everything that's going on is they're, they're pinging us from other planets and all that other stuff. Um, back to your G question, though. Um, I've, got, I mean, I've, I've got a question about it here. So in the new Top Gun Part 2, which was wonderful, and I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Dr. Kaku, but uh, Tom Cruise at the beginning of the movie goes 10 g's well he ejected at 10.5 i think neil talked about this is that possible yeah is is it possible for tom cruise to go 10 g's in a plane or would he die well i think it's a high probability that he would break a few bones uh did he did he go to uh, 10 g's in the movie or in real life in the movie it wasn't real life. Uh, no it's both real because he he's a method actor so he did it for real too yeah yeah and he's still alive I no, saw him a couple of weeks that ago. That definitely didn't happen. But yeah. the, the issue isn't necessarily um, traveling 10 Gs. It's he punched out. He ejected from his aircraft at 10 Gs. Mm-hmm. Right? You that there's no way you would survive that. You I mean, your skin would get peeled off your body. Let me ask the award-winning uh, physicist here. Uh, true <laughs> or false? Yes or no? True or false? What? What's the question? Could he? Could a human being go 10 Gs and eject from a plane? And survive. Yep. Uh, slim possibility. I mean, the human form has been able to withstand all sorts of strange stresses and strains that we thought were not possible. You can't be ruled out, but I think it's pushing it. I think it's, it's at the border at which you start to break a few bones and cause hemorrhages of the blood vessels and cause havoc with the body. But in principle, it's conceivable. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. I knew it. Delco, can I get a round of applause, please? I knew it. I knew Tom Cruise was the guy that could pull off 10 G's and still live. And to your point, yes, you know, when they, when they found him in a, in a small diner in the desert uh, about 10 minutes later, he did look kind of d- dirty and, and maybe a broken bone or two. So, yeah, I think Tom Cruise is probably the guy that could do it. No. Yep. No, he's yeah, like, he just said it. So. He's five foot one, eh. and he weighs like 140 pounds. I'm going to trust the physicist all the on this one. people that could do it, it wouldn't be him. Call me crazy. I'm more interested in uh, – so – we still haven't. I, I think there's some something, some potential in the future for using um, 
quantum entanglement for for communication across long distances. Um, Ender's Game, the author, we had him on a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orson Scott Card, he kind of hinted at that with his Ansible and that book series. But uh, can you explain what quantum entanglement is and how it might relate to being able to communicate? If we're going to seed the galaxy with human beings, right, with humanity, we're going to need to communicate in a way that doesn't take 35,000 years, right? Yeah. It, it, actually, it's 105 or so thousand light years wide, the galaxy is. So that means if you sent uh, a message using standard communication, it would take 100,000 years to get there. That's too long, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not going to, you're going to get your pizza for free at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, could you talk about quantum entanglement and how that relates to this stuff? Yeah, if you're a fan of Star Trek, you know there's something called subspace communication where you can talk to star starbase headquarters instantly across across tens of light years. Well, that's all fake. I mean, that's Hollywood uh, making up stuff. However, there is something called quantum entanglement that Einstein, in fact, opposed, but it's actually real. Now, it turns out that if I have uh, two particles that are vibrating in unison and separate them. Okay, two particles vibrating up and down in unison, separate them, and then I jiggle one. How fast does it take for the other one to respond to the fact that its twin is being jiggled? Well, the answer is infinitely fast. Well, Einstein hated that because Einstein said nothing can go faster than the speed of light. But entanglement does go faster than the speed of light. There's a catch. Einstein has the last laugh. It turns out that the information that travels instantly from one particle to another particle, even if the particles are separated by thousands of light years, that information does travel instantly faster than light. Einstein was wrong on that, but he has the last laugh. The information conveyed through entanglement is random information. You cannot send Morse code this way. So in other words, Einstein has the last laugh. You cannot communicate faster than the speed of light through quantum entanglement. The way to do it, however, is with a wormhole. A wormhole would obey all of Einstein's laws, and still you could go faster than the speed of light through a wormhole. But we've never seen a wormhole. Now, quantum entanglement does exist. We use it all the time in quantum computers. That's one of the reasons why they're so powerful. The chips can communicate with each other. But uh, so far, we have not found a way to create a wormhole. That would require the energy of a black hole. And we're not there yet. Do you think it's ever going to be possible for a, for uh, uh, organic life to travel through a black hole like that? I mean, it just seems like the, the, the gravity is so, I mean, it's in, impossibly high, right? I mean, you would just get spaghettified going through that thing. Yeah, except if you have positive energy and negative energy, Stephen Hawking said it would be possible to go through a wormhole. Now, negative energy, we've never seen that experimentally. Negative energy falls up. It doesn't fall down. Now, when was the last time you saw something fall up rather than down? If you could find something that falls up, that's negative energy, and that could be used to stabilize the black hole so that you can fall through it. So Stephen Hawking did the calculation. It's a big assumption whether or not negative matter can exist, but if negative matter one day is found in outer space, then yeah, then you then faster than the speed of light travel might be possible. Hmm. Did you ever party with Hawking? 
I think behind the scenes, everybody wants to know if you guys actually hang out together or if there's like a fierce competition between one another. How does that work behind the scenes with like all the famous scientists? Well, I've been to his house and I've met him many times. And in his house, he had all these gadgets that would allow him to read articles, communicate, even though, of course, he was paralyzed and and could not carry on a simple conversation. So talking with him, however, was impossible. He talked very, very slowly. It it took uh, like minutes to to, to utter certain words, for example. Uh, But his grad students, his grad students did learn to communicate with him by deciphering his babbling. But after a while, even his babbling was, was too difficult to understand. And therefore, he was not able to communicate with other people. Gotcha. Yeah, we're, we're doing that with John Fetterman right now. I just wondered if, you know, like he partied and, you know, people were giving him key bumps or stuff like that. You want to hear, you know, some fun stories about these guys and not think about, you know, the depressing stuff like him being in a wheelchair forever. Um, I just wonder if there was like a grad student who was like, here's a key bump, Steve, you know, <laughs> just see what happens. And yeah. nobody's really going to know what's going to happen there, you know, maybe because he did get divorced. And that's strange yeah. to me. Yeah. So. He, he obviously typed that out. Yeah, it was it was oddly the, similar to uh, Einstein. You know, Einstein, after he won the Nobel Prize for his Miracle Year papers, divorced his wife and gave her the money from the Nobel Prize and then uh, married, I guess, his first cousin. But it wasn't in like a sexual way. They were It was his caretaker in the same way Hawking married his caretaker. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I think maybe as it, it's probably like you're a regular good person – go live your life. I'm just going to hang out with this person. This is going to take care of me because I'm a weirdo or whatever the fuck. Right. I think that's probably where it came from. I don't think it's anything bizarre or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. I wonder, you know, um, <laughs> behind the scenes, you're like, how did you take off? Cause you had to type that out. We're getting divorced. And then, you know, she's got to wait five minutes to hear that. Uh, let alone the proceedings and everything else. Um, re- regarding Einstein, I know you've tracked him most of your life. Is that story true? And what's a crazier story you've heard about Einstein that nobody really knows about? Uh, what's the crazy story about Einstein that no one knows? I yeah. Think every, every aspect of his life has been gone over by biographers and by people that have gone through the archives of everything that he ever wrote. So I think we know quite a bit about how Einstein functioned. But personally, do you know something about his work habits uh, or something that maybe you, you used uh, to help yourself in your career as you tried to advance the string theory? Well, he was famous for spending 10 years working on one physics problem. Uh, most people give up after a few weeks or a few months working on a, on a dead end. He would work on a paper for 10 years. And then after 10 years, he would write it up and then change the universe as a consequence. Um, and he started asking simple questions and answered it over 10 years. When he was 16 years old, he asked himself the key question, can you outrace a light beam? He spent 10 years figuring out that yes, no, no, you cannot outrace a light beam. And he discovered relativity theory as a consequence. And so a simple question like that triggered one of the greatest revolutions in uh, the history of physics. A simple question asked by a 16-year-old boy, can you outrace a light beam? 
That's hilarious. Um, and, and with you, uh, I feel like there's been this renaissance for science right now um, because a lot of you guys are popping up. I think a lot of it's due to Joe Rogan, to be honest with you. Uh, Joe Rogan's um, been more than willing over the years to have scientists on. The, the field has become a sexier field, if you will, and more people seem like they're caring. One thing that you do a great job of uh, in all your books, especially in uh, uh, Quantum Supremacy, is uh, you write it out so that it's not too far over the audience's head and so that it's easily understandable so that they can at least go along the ride with you. Was that intentional or was this just your writing style to begin with? Well, that writing style happened when I was eight years old. Uh, When I was eight years old, all the newspapers said that a great scientist had died, but they published a picture of his desk, just his desk with a book that was opened And the caption said, this great scientist could not finish this book. Well, I was floored. What? How come he didn't ask his mother? How come he didn't go to the library to look up the answer? What could be so hard that a great scientist would leave this book unfinished? So I went to the library and I found out that this man's name was Albert Einstein. And that book was the unfinished theory of everything. He wanted an equation no more than one inch long that would allow us to, quote, read the mind of God. And so when I approach these questions, I approach these questions from the point of view of an eight-year-old child, puzzled about why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? If you can't talk to an eight-year-old child, then you yourself don't really understand what the problem is. And so that's how I approach writing books. That's how I approach physics problems. Just the way Einstein did it, when he was 16 years old, he asked himself the question, can you outrace a light beam? When I was eight years old, I asked myself the question, what was in that book? That's funny, yeah, because uh, you know, just this week alone, we've had a couple authors on, and even Jack Carr does a great job of uh, simplifying some mm-hmm. of the military jargon and, and adding dialogue and, and everything else. Yeah, I think I actually quoted Einstein in an interview because he did famously say, I mean, it's, it's misquoted a lot, but essentially what he says is if you can't explain it simply, you don't truly understand it yourself. That's the general idea, and that's exactly what uh, he picked up from that, which is interesting because that might be the – of all the things that Einstein gave to the scientific community, that might be the most important because if uh, – th- there's another version of it where he says if you make a scientific discovery and you can't explain it to a barmaid, then it has no value, right? Mm-hmm. Like if the general public can't understand what you've done, then what value does what you did have? And I think that's an important thing to understand because academics have this tendency to kind of get off into the into space, into their own heads a little bit, and then you know figure out some very high-level stuff but not being able to communicate it. Now we're living in an age of science communicators like uh, yourself and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, a lot of them, mm-hmm. right? Brian, Brian Green, Brian, Brian Cox. Yep. Uh, a lot of them, Brian Keating. Yeah, so it's it's good. We're we're living in a golden age right now. Yeah, and you're one of those guys. I'm sure you get this all the time. Do people come up to you on the street and say, "I know you from something"? What is it that I know you from? Are you an actor? Um, because your face. Last time you were on, and we we always put up uh, like these swipe ups and pictures for Instagram and social media and everything. You know, advertising what our show is that night. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, I love that guy." Do you get that in the street when you walk down the street every day? Yeah, I do. So sometimes they wear a disguise and sometimes they see through the disguise as well. So even if I'm wearing a, a breathing mask because of the, the COVID crisis, 
people recognize me even if I'm wearing even if I'm wearing a mask. That's funny because um, I'm sure you have a whole new fan base now uh, after the podcast and, and all your television shows that you've been on CBS and everything else like that. And I'm, I'm sure it's wild because, you know, when you start off as a scientist, you're either stuck in a lab or stuck doing research somewhere. And now you go out in public and everybody's like, oh, my God, I love you, dude. I want to party with you. Yeah, it is strange. Um, when I was young, I wanted to become a physicist. But then I found out there are two kinds of physicists. One is the experimental physicist who is married to a laboratory, and the other one is a theoretician. And I realized that if I was an experimental physicist, I spent all my time working in a laboratory. Sometimes the, the equipment breaks down, whatever, right? But if you're a theoretician, you're, it's just your mind. And that's the, that, that's the appeal. It's just your thinking process. That's what stands out. And my favorite quote, it comes from when Niels Bohr was listening to a version of the unified field theory that he didn't agree with. Niels Bohr, one of the founders of the quantum theory, raised his hand and he said, we in the back are convinced that your theory is crazy. What divides us in the back is whether your theory is crazy enough. (laughs) The theory of everything has to be bizarre, fantastic, crazy. If it's not crazy, then, of course, somebody would have gotten it years ago. It must be crazy because physicists have failed to come up with a theory for decades. Why? Because they weren't crazy enough to think of the theory. Now, string theory is, I think, crazy enough. It exists in 11-dimensional hyperspace. It deals with vibrating strings, vibrating in in all these dimensions. And uh, it is crazy enough to be a theory of everything. But that's my favorite quote. That's awesome. Uh, Do you follow movies? Does a guy like you go out and see movies? Because one of the biggest movies that's supposed to come out this summer um, is about a physicist, ironically, uh, in Oppenheimer. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the trailer or anything else, but uh, are you looking forward to go in to see that movie, does a guy like you even get to enjoy himself and go out and see movies and have dinners and all that stuff? Or is it constantly about the work? Well, believe it or not, when I was eight years old, I actually had two role models. Uh, first was Albert Einstein, because people were talking about his unfinished unified theory. But also, I was watching the old Flash Gordon series, the Buster Crab. <laughs> and what's there not to love? I mean, monsters and ray guns and invisibility and cities under the sky, cities in the cities in the atmosphere. That Buster Crab and Flash Gordon became Star Wars. All the elements of Flash Gordon were stolen and incorporated into the Star Wars saga. And so uh, George Lucas admitted that. He said, he said, quote, after Vietnam, I wanted Flash Gordon. And so that started me thinking about uh, science fiction. But then I began to realize that the two loves of my life were really very similar. Physics on one hand and science fiction on the other hand are really in some sense the same thing. Because if you understand the laws of physics, you know when physics begins to end and speculation uh, begins. You know the boundary between what is possible and what is plausible and what is impossible. Most people don't know these boundaries. But if you're a physicist, you do know these boundaries. And so whenever I see science fiction, I sort of know exactly where to put it. Is it possible, plausible, or just impossible? 
are you are you looking forward to Oppenheimer? Then are you going to go see that this summer? Uh, yeah, in fact, the producers of that wanted me to to say a few things for t- for uh, television promotion. So uh, yeah, he he was a man who was misunderstood. That um, well, one thing I did tell the producer was that the tragedy of Oppenheimer's life was that he was born too late. The people who created quantum mechanics, which led to the atomic bomb, were about five years older than him. And so by the time he was ready to contribute to all these great theories, all the theories were picked off already. And he felt like being at a dance, at at a dance where all the pretty girls were picked off already. He came too late. So that was one of the tragedies of his life, that all the great theories were picked off before he arrived. So when the atomic bomb possibility came, he grabbed it. And he said, this is the way I'm going to make a mark on science. He well, made, a, made a mark on a couple of cities, too. Sure did. Sure, <laughs> sure did. Uh, Dr. Kaku, we appreciate you being here today. The book is called Quantum Supremacy. Uh, it is out everywhere. It is a New York Times bestseller already in its first week out. Congratulations on all your success. And uh, thank you for sharing your time with us today. It's always fascinating, and you're welcome back anytime. Okay, thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Take care, sir. Uh, what a fascinating guy. Yeah. Every single time he's on, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, we enjoy it. Yeah. I like science. People like science. People, it's, you know, we talked about it before, but um, the ability to communicate, there's, there's not a whole lot. There's a couple of dudes that can do it. Brian Cox can do it. He's from uh, CERN, uh, our buddy, Brian Keating, it's at, and uh, California there. Um, Neil. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Brian Green from Columbia. There's a couple of people that can really do it. Um, and we've brought one on the show today, right? Yeah. And Dr. Kaku, we've got a second person yes. that we're going to speak I, to. I, a f- far more, a far better scientist. Now, this is, this is one that... Uh, this is uh, just hang out with them back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a um, mic right back there so that way we can both ask you questions. So last week on one of the shows, we ran a story. Uh, well, it wasn't really a story so much as it was just a quick hitter, but we discussed this uh, person that went to uh, the doctor's office with a butt plug in. Yes. Right. And uh, turned the MRI machine on and it launched the butt plug up through their chest cavity, basically. Um, it almost killed him. Almost killed him, and it, the it they they were lied to, I guess, by the sex toy manufacturer mm-hmm. who said it was all silicone, but it turned out to have a metal core. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the first place my brain went, obviously, was um, how does this relate force wise or kilojoules wise to Mister Hands fucking that dude to death? Right, and right? We, I, I believe we showed both uh, on the show. We did. So yes. here's the yes. picture of the butt plug. Uh, inside this human being's body. Very much not where it began. Yep. Now, we've had uh, uh, someone who's in school for some sort of engineering here, Cole, um, and, he, and he ran it by his buddy, too, to do the calculations on this, and uh, he's got a brief presentation, which Great. I think is going to be quite a bit more inter- interesting and uh, also quite a bit more important than anything that some theoretical physicists had to say, right? True. Uh, by the way, you know how many times I wanted to ask him how many black holes he's been in his life? Um, I mean, I was uh, I was right there, and I just couldn't pull the trigger. Well, next couldn't time, couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, is he back there? Pop the camera on him if you can, Bob, and give him a microphone there. Boom! Hey, right here. Uh, tell everybody your name, sir. Yeah, my name's Cole. I'm gonna leave the last name out because I am trying to get a job eventually. Ah, are you? 
<laughs> I'd, I'd think differently of it, you know? <laughs> if you can avoid it, I would. It's not that much fun. Yeah, right. Um, where are you studying at, and what are you studying exactly? Uh, so I'm currently studying information systems at ACC, hoping to transfer over to UT or uh, A&M next fall. Okay. Um, and you, look, you, you saw the episode. You, uh, you watched the butt plug. Uh, go up and see this gentleman or lady. I still don't know which. It's a dude. Yeah. It's a dude. It's a dude. Okay. So let's start okay. with uh, Mr. Hands. If you're not familiar, if you're out there in the audience, you're not familiar with it. Good luck find. It's hard to find. Now. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah. essentially, this dude is trying to make some uh, bestiality porn by letting a horse fuck him in the ass. Right. And the horse thrusted too hard and liquidated his insides. Yes. Um, now let's start with that. How many? How many? Explain the energy output of that. Okay, yeah. So in order to understand kinetic energy, you got to understand uh, the mass of the object mm. and the velocity. And so the average horse's cock is about 20 inches long. It's about 2.3 inches wide, and this is flaccid. Yeah, same. Uh, according to some searches I was able to pull up, uh, when erect, a horse's hog is about double the length and thickness and weighs in about 12 pounds. God damn, 12-pound <laughs> cock. Oh, 12-pound oh, cock? Are boy. you kidding me? Yeah. That's a lot. Fuck's sake, dude. So, That's uh, a lot. For the sake of argument, uh, we used the 25 miles an hour that you threw out there, Dan. Uh, mm. And while I couldn't find an exact weight on the plug that the gentleman in question was using, mm -hmm. from what I found on Amazon, a mid-sized butt plug is about 11 ounces out okay. of the box. And from the article, uh, it was traveling at 770 miles an hour, the speed of sound, as it accelerated through the body cavity. So... <laughs> oh god for, for this guy yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 770 yeah. inside from his asshole up to yeah. his yeah. his the heart speed of sound, so, yeah. so here here's the final output so for right. mr hands yeah. uh, how did he live how does this guy live well so for mr hands uh the jewel output was 386.6 okay right? now for an nfl hit right so an average nfl hit that's going to produce 2300 or so kilojoules right <sighs> So that's what that's eight, like eight times worse. This. It's eight this times worse in an NFL hit. Uh, the plug was twenty thousand two hundred fifty nine kilojoules. Oh my god! So, dude. like nine times more energy going through this dude's body than a twelve inch or a twelve pound horse cock. My god, man! My god! And how did this person survive this? Then, like, how is that humanly possible? I guess I've got no clue. Yeah, he's not a he's an engineer, not a biologist. So yeah. I mean, well, so, fuck, dude. I mean, you know, I got to get an answer that they tape him up. Like, what, what went on inside that guy's asshole? Well, there's gonna that? be the lawsuit is pending right now, so we'll be able to fucking search the the legal docs at some point once okay. this thing wraps up, unless they settle out of court. But even in that case, we're gonna find this dude and reach out to him. We're, we're absolutely gonna find out. Now, my assumption is the rest of his life is wheelchair plus colostomy bag. Uh, plus potential Stephen Hawking esque keyboard situation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't foresee as a, you know, I've done a little uh, work with this myself uh, since it happened, just to see kind of like what it would feel like, and you know, it just, there's just no way. I'm sorry. Do you want to, you want to, uh, you want to go ahead and explain what the fuck you're talking about? Yeah. Did you put a butt plug inside yourself? No. I, I said what I needed to say. Okay. Because it sounds like you put a butt plug inside it yourself. It sounds like you rammed something up your fucking ass into your yeah. lungs. Because that, that butt plug is at the bottom of this dude's lung, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's what I needed to say. Okay. You paint you paint your own picture. No, I've, I've got it painted. Um, it's already <laughs> hanging in my, my living room there. So you, you've had a butt plug inside you. And that's fine. No judgment here. 
What I can't tell is pop this pickup one more time, Bob, um, is if we're looking at the chest, like is this an x-ray of the chest or is this from the side of the body? Because I still can't see well, a you penis. can see the pelvic bone, so it's... We're, Oh, all right. So we saying that's his dick down there because there's a there's a thing called program here that blocks the the wiener. Is, is that a dick then? Uh, I mean, it, it would maybe be a coccyx from this angle, like the tailbone. Probably. All right. All right. I don't think you would see the hog. He's probably uh, in a different direction here. But that looks like a chest cavity to me. You can see yep. some intestines. That looks like a lung that it's pressing into right Fuck there. Fuck that, dude. And why? What was stopping it from going all the way out the body then? I think they just turned it off immediately. Like I think, oh, oh, turn off be, the MRI. Yeah, because okay. I, I, my guess is what happened is, I don't know when when you turn on the MRI machine, the guy's not supposed to start screaming and being sucked up to the top of it. Man, imagine turning on the show today. Uh, if you're in your car, let's say you're a truck driver, you're heading through Iowa or something like that. Thought you were going to get a, a simple show about a, the co-founder of String Theory, and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, it's Mr. Hands, and then we're still examining how this butt plug shot through somebody's body at 720 miles an hour. Welcome to Drinking Bros. You know, that's what we do here. Um, thank you for your service there. I appreciate that. No, he just pointed out as well. It's, it had about the same jewel uh, output. What is a 50 caliber bullet? Uh, yeah, 800 grain, 50 caliber bullet. Exiting the uh, muzzle. Oh, fuck, dude. Shit. I don't know how the guy's alive. Because I've seen what a 50 cal round does to a human being. And it usually fucking splits him in half. You know what I mean? Especially uh, uh, if it's, you know, a couple hundred meters out. Man, I, have we done enough searching on this? The butt plug. Okay, the person who posted this. Hang on, dude. Uh, person who posted that MRI butt plug story on social media is going to be sued. Um, the person who posted the story is getting sued now? So are a, we going to get sued for is this? Is it a HIPAA violation if the person who had access to it and posted it isn't isn't covered oh, i don't care about that i don't either man um man that's just fucking intense dude i think somebody anal so, rail gun is what they're calling this guy well that's what the attorney called it <laughs> the attorney called it basically an anal rail gun in the lawsuit right so if you're searching uh the uh uh if you're searching for the lawsuit in a, in a legal database, it shouldn't be very difficult to find yeah. because it's going to say anal rail gun, and that'll probably be the only lawsuit that says that. Okay. Okay. Or renal gun. Renal would be great. Jonathan says renal gun. Yeah, I'm fine with that, Jonathan. Uh, by the way, we'll see in Tampa here in about 10 days, Jonathan, if you're out there. We have some uh, video footage of what an MRI machine, like attracting metal to it. Oh, great. Let's pop that up. Yeah. We're on Patreon, right? Yeah, fuck it. What we're reading on that guy right now, just at that part of the magnet, is close to 300. Yeah. Whoa. So whoa, here we go. whoa, 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 whoa. Are they going to shoot that thing into the fucking... God damn, dude. Who does this in their spare time, Bob? I don't know. It's just some scientists. But is that a giant dildo on the end of that? No, no, okay. no, no. That's just a chair. Okay. So that was, sorry. Sorry, the video was From wasn't this as... angle, it looked like a giant dildo being shot into an MRI machine, we... which I'm also fine with. I just wonder how people have that kind of time on their hands. What is the point of this video? You didn't show us anything. Uh, it didn't do what I needed it to do. What were you hoping it would do, I, Bob? You know, usually like the MRI, it's like a psh, but this thing, I, they, they had it like tethered so it wouldn't shoot out at okay. the rate, at the he, rate he you needed. You did not vet the video, is what he said. Yeah, you didn't vet the video, and that's fine, Bob. That's fine. 
Don't yeah, worry about this it. This is uh, yeah. Gigi in the chat says she loved Mythbusters. This is a whole different type of Mythbusters. Yeah, one that deals primarily in assholes. Yeah, Cheekbusters yeah. would be a good one for for this one. Um, I don't know. God damn it, dude. Uh, well, hey, thanks for coming on and explaining mm. that today. Again, you can be the judge at home of of who's going to be a, a better physicist in life. <laughs> Doctor Doctor Kaku or or Cole. Uh, you be the judge. We're not saying his last name. Uh, we do have some listeners in the studio. Uh, would you like to come up and give Drinking Bro of the Week out? You're here. You're in Austin. Hopefully, you're drinking some hard AF seltzers back there. Uh, anybody back there want to come up and give out Drinking Bro of the Week? Pop on up. There you go. Don't be shy. There it is. We got a lady. We got a lady today. We don't have that many ladies that pop on into the show. But we appreciate it. You're like, no, 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 we don't. I wish we did. Our demographic, by the way, is 97.4 male and then 2.6 female. So you're repping the 2.6. Pull that mic about an inch from your face. It moves. So you can just grab it. Yeah, right, right. I'm your closet. There you are. What's up? I've been listening to you guys since you guys were around a coffee table with Evan, JT, yeah. Matt. You got the Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt on, too. I, do. I, got, a, I got a mug out back. Got a mug out with back? With the Drinking Bros logo on it. Okay. Yes. I, I'm proud of you. Uh, what's your What's your name? Audra Gurleman. Audra. Welcome to the show. Um, Who would you like to give Drinking Bro or Broette of the week to? I would like to give it to my husband. He's sitting way back there by the door. There you go. What's his name? Todd. What's up, Todd? Yeah. Uh, why do you want to give it to Todd? Because we have been here from, is Dan around? Yeah, Dan's here. I am from Iowa, and Iowa does exist. <laughs> I just mentioned Iowa like five minutes ago. That's great. I heard what it. part of Iowa? <laughs> Southeast Iowa. Southeast Iowa. Mount okay. Pleasant, Burlington. So my first experience in Iowa was uh, I went to Field of Dreams. I went to the Field of Dreams. Yep, and it was real. Mm-hmm. Not only was it real, it was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was it was one of the the best. No, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. it was the best sporting experience I've ever been to in my life. It's pretty cool out there. Beautiful. I was unaware um, that they still had the house up and the whole set and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, it's very fun. I, I enjoy that they're doing it every single year. So yes, Iowa does exist. And it is beautiful. It does. <laughs> what, is a, what is a great restaurant in Iowa if we were going that isn't an Applebee's or a Friday's oh, or something like that? Boy. Yeah. Todd, do you want to help me with that? Todd, is there anything that doesn't have cheese curds to, to lead off the menu there down in Iowa? Tenderloins? Do you get tenderloins down here? Uh, yes. Yeah, we got tenderloins down here. Tenderloins sure. about the baking sheet size? Uh-huh. I don't know what else to tell you to do. What, what's your favorite restaurant? Where do you guys, where do you and Todd go to on a Friday night? It's a pretty small town. There's limited. Yeah. It's not like this Mecca. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on the map, it looks like, you know, this is going to be like a tiny area and it's like 40 miles to everything. I know. I know. It's crazy. Everything is uh, 28 minutes, I feel like, every single time. Where are you going? 28 minutes. I'm going to uh, San Antonio tonight with my son. And even that is just like, all right, great. 28 minutes. It feels like you're just like, no. It's an hour and a half. It will be. We just came from there. We had to go to the Black Rifle. Oh, did you go to the headquarters the down there? Brick and mortar. Yes, we did. Was, was JT there? No. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't work that much. He Darn. doesn't work that much. No, he doesn't. I don't think he has to. <laughs> 
Not anymore. Not no. anymore. He's, no, he's he good. does not. He's good. Well, look, thank you guys for all your support over the years. We greatly appreciate it. Every and, day. Uh, every day I listen to this. Every single day. I'm a little bit behind because we're on a two-week road trip. For sure. Yeah. Where you guys uh, ended up? Um, we went two nights in Memphis. Okay. Uh, what did you think? Did you go see Graceland? Uh, no. Okay. We stayed downtown, went to Beale Street. Um, two weeks in Bat- uh, not Baton Rouge, New Orleans. New Orleans? Okay, great. I uh, love New Orleans. I've been to Memphis. I, I enjoy Memphis the few times that I've been. I think I like Memphis a whole lot better. Oh, really? The New Orleans? Yes. It depends on the person. If you're going to New Orleans to get fucked up and roam through French Quarter and all that stuff, it's great. We're on Patreon, right? Yeah. It smells like piss and weed. It sure does. We're not used to that in Southeast Iowa. No, definitely not. Nope. But that's every major city down here. So, you know, nothing you can really do about that. I haven't that. seen this city yet. I've We've got to get to our place. We're going to stay. Sure. Where else are you guys going? Um, I don't know. How hard is it to get downtown to the trifecta of comedy? Uh, 28 minutes. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It is. But uh, are you going to to, uh, Mothership? How hard is it to get in there? You know, it's funny. Um, My doctor just asked me for tickets and I got got them for her tomorrow night. Um, So Joe is actually performing tonight, by the way. Uh, Yeah, yes. Joe himself is actually performing tonight. Uh, Last night, tonight, and tomorrow... And everybody asks for tickets all the time, including mm-hmm. my doctor. And finally, I was just like, look, I'll throw you some ticks. Yeah. All right. But let's uh, let's give me some free shit. Maybe write up some fake scripts for daddy and uh, <laughs> and I'll get you ticks. That's how hard they are, though. For real. Um, they sell out in like two minutes and then they sell on eBay for like four or five hundred bucks a night. Really? This has been going on for like three months now. So there's no chance of getting in there tonight. I'm not sure. I'll tell you what. I'll look it up as soon as we get off air okay. and uh, and I'll look it up for you. But uh, yeah, if we can, we can. I will say this. It's not Joe's fault. He's selling them for like 40 bucks, mm-hmm. um, which is great because you're seeing literally the top comedians in the world yeah. for $40. It's a, it's a pretty goddamn good deal. But uh, the place is beautiful. It's right downtown off 6th Street. So if you guys are staying downtown, no. uh, it's called the, the Comedy Mothership. Where are you guys staying at? Um, Cactus Renway. Cactus Runway. I don't know where that is. Renway. Renway. Okay. Just a little bit. I don't know which direction it goes. I don't either. I don't either. It's <laughs> Haven't weird. been there yet. I know Austin and Dripping Springs. The rest of it's a fucking mystery. I, I, I don't know. Same really? one. When I lived in Los Angeles, I don't think I ever went like more than like San Diego. I was really? just like, all right, well, I'm here and let's do this. I see all the things you guys talk about. I'm like, Popeyes. Is Popeyes? It, is it Popeyes or is it? Popeyes is up here. So if you take a left out of here and go to Popeyes, that's about three miles up the road. The one you guys are always arguing about. Louisiana Popeyes. That one, yeah. Yeah, it's right up the road. And when you go on your rant, like when your house is flooded and you wanted to give, was it the pool guy or your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. George, yeah. <laughs> you remember? Fuck that guy. <laughs> when you dude. go on rants like that, it's just hilarious. I hate those people <laughs> so goddamn much. It hurts inside. Oh, yeah. You, you don't let up. There's another one that Dan and I are super angry about right now. So it might be next week's rant, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, it doesn't end. It definitely doesn't end. You can tell us. It's from Patreon today. Yeah, the guy and the guy who fucking defecated in my, uh, the guy from USA who oh, just yeah. took his shit in my bathroom upstairs. Right I up. literally told him, hey, man, the house is flooded. The pipes are broken. Mm-hmm. Just don't use the restrooms. What does he do? As soon as I leave the house, what does he do? Creeps up there, drops a hearty deuce right in the upstairs, and it sat there for two weeks. <laughs> the stench of that goddamn thing is living with me. Same with the streets of New Orleans, and uh, I get it. I get mm, it. It's kind of bad. Really um, bad. Well, enjoy your time here. Thanks for stopping in the studio today. We greatly appreciate it. And if you guys are in the Austin area, 
Come on in. You can be on the show. Uh, it's audio and video, so you're good to go there. Say and do whatever you want. Uh, thank you, Todd, for uh, coming out today. We greatly appreciate it. Take some hard AF seltzers uh, on the way out oh, yeah. and enjoy your time in Austin. For those of you at home, go to iTunes, rate the show a five-star, and leave a quick review. Also, head on over to Spotify and leave a review. I'll shut up at 10,000 reviews. I promise you. I will shut up. I will never, ever say it again. 10,000 feels like enough for these assholes. So just get it there, and I'll never ask about it again. I promise. Uh, and if you want to submit to Drinking Bro of the Week, if you're not here, go to drinkingbros.com. Click on the submission form, and it gets emailed directly to us, and we'll read it on air live but we would prefer if you were here live this is fun i enjoy doing He's this better made my trip every single day I, hey you made he knows you made our day so we appreciate the support none of this is is possible without you guys that's why we leave the doors open and you're always welcome to come in drink for free eat yeah, for free and hang with mm -hmm. us thank you so much we appreciate it uh and shout out to dr kaku by his book it is on sale now for Danthony Danthony Holloway. I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.